Good morning, everybody, and happy Easter to everybody. It's good to see the fam. It's good to see a lot of new faces this morning. Good to see old friends. But you, what you don't realize is that after last Sunday morning service, uh, Ben Meckel and I went around the world, did a three-day conference, and came back. So we, went, uh, we flew out of here Sunday afternoon to go to Cambodia. I'll tell you about that in a, in a second. But uh, uh, we got back yesterday. We're feeling good. Uh, we really, to be truthful, we, we really can't feel much. We think we're awake. We think we got all our faculties together, but we'll see. But it's uh, so good here to be with you today, and uh, just uh, blessings on you on this, on this great day. You know, I always know that it's Easter. First, uh, it's a Sunday by which everybody has the courage to wear their pastels. I mean, we had some beautiful lavender shirts and bright pinks and blues, and uh, you just look very pretty. So, so always know that uh, it is uh, Sunday, Easter, because there's a few courageous uh, men who wear a tie. And uh, we always know it's that, and Mother's Day and Father's Day, those are the three days that we might find you in a tie around here. David, you look wonderful. I thought you were trying to sell me something in the prayer room, but uh, <laughs> you were... You came with a tie on it, so it's beautiful to have you here. Also know it's Easter because uh, Sue goes ballistic on yard work. And uh, I left Sunday afternoon. There was a jungle outside. I came back, and there was a park. And uh, always know it's Easter when that takes place. Also know Easter because I see empty candy wrappers around my house. <laughs> and my wife is hyped and amped, okay? And I know, I know who ate them. And... Uh, she, has a, she actually has a support group for candy addicts, and, uh, uh, but she keeps getting dismissed because she keeps falling off the wagon, but uh, Easter doesn't help. And then, of course, I'm always, I always know it's Easter because Jim Avery has fixed my, did his annual visit to my house and fixed both my riding lawnmowers, so that's always a sign that it's, it's Easter. And then lastly, I get texts on Easter Sunday from pastors all over the country you know, with encouragements like today, you know, preach the word, declare his resurrection, and, and, you know, go for it. And it's like, for pastors, it's like, I call it swing to the fence Sunday. You know, like baseball terms, you're just trying to hit a home run. And, you know, the, 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 the truth of the matter is, we're to be declaring the resurrection of Jesus every day. Yeah. I mean, every day's resurrection day. We're being raised to life every day. The reality of his resurrection is every day. But we do take some time in the church calendar to really zero in and, and talk about this thing called the, the resurrection. So as I said, you know, Ben and I went all the way to Cambodia and back in six days and did a three-day conference ministering to 150 uh, lead pastors and church planners and their teams in a, in a country that has probably suffered probably the most... Uh, atrocious acts of uh, terrorism and, and totalitarian government and persecution and suffering with a great holocaust called Cambodia. And uh, if you know anything about Cambodia's history, 1975 to 79, uh, because of the, just all the confusion taking place in Southeast Asia and things that took place in that country, even because of American bombing, I'm not here to get political today, but 100,000 Cambodians were killed by American bombs. Uh, it was a not great opportunity for uh, the Khmer Rouge, uh, which was a radical branch of communism, to come in and, and take over. And they took over. And the first thing they did is they emptied the city of Phnom Penh with three million people. And they put them all out on farms all over the land and made slaves out of their own people. 
Out of that came what you know today as the killing fields where we, we witnessed one of the greatest acts of genocide in human history where three million uh, Cambodians were, were basically beaten to death and their, their bodies, their skulls, and their bones left in uh, fields, 300 of them to be exact, all over, the, all over the land of Cambodia. So today they dig those graves up and they leave the bones out as a witness that no one would forget. And uh, out of that, when everyone's stripped of property and dignity and life and, and even health and starved to death and beaten and some endured tortures and everything else, out of the ashes of that, God is bringing an incredible revival. And uh, hundreds and thousands of people are coming to Jesus, and as, Je- as, as Ben alluded to, people are being raised from the dead, literally. And these are not far-off stories. There are some friends of mine who raised them from the dead. Like, got, so we got firsthand stories and real, real-life people who were these stories were about. And uh, all sorts of wonderful things are taking place straight out of the book of Acts. And uh, when they have baptism services, they announce what they're doing. And all, this particular church has planted 197 churches in the country. So sometimes we say, oh, we planted 10. You know, <laughs> Try 197. And uh, a lot of the pastors that are pastoring them are like 20 years old, 22 years old, 24 years old. And you say, well, why? <laughs> because all the older people are dead. And so they take what they got. And they, they are seeing the book of Acts come to life, and they're seeing the reality of Jesus' resurrection being experienced on a day-by-day basis. So it was a great honor to minister to them, and, you know, I, I'm trying to help Ben just grow a little bit prophetically. So we, we had to line up leaders along the walls, and, you know, I'll take those 50 Ben, you take those 50. And I had a friend of mine, Ed Allen, from Alberta, Canada. You take those 50 over there. Let's start prophesying and get some promises in them so they can go back with the promises of God. Many people got baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they're going back with some power. They're going back with some promises and some hope. They're already, you know, just, just knocking it dead. And we believe now with some promises and some power, they're going to knock it even more dead. So we're really excited. And as we came home, we were just... We're just taken back. So on this Easter weekend, you know, I'm excited uh, on this Easter weekend to see the, the nations that Jesus died on the cross for coming to a place of relationship with him and, uh, and really to witness the reality of his resurrection. As, as the man, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead, come on, he now sits on the throne of heaven and we are experiencing the reality of him sitting on the throne of heaven and the reality of his resurrection through the power of the Holy Spirit that's present with us today and it's present around our country, it's present around the world. I challenge all of you, regardless of what kind of news you watch, to take a little bit of, sometimes to take a little bit of a fast away from news and read your Bible and start believing some things that God's doing around the earth. Okay, man, God is doing some stuff. I've been in places like you can't go to those places. I've been to those places, and God is doing a great work in those places you're not supposed to go because he's, 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 ter- he's breaking down all sorts of barriers, and he's bringing people in the kingdom of God. It's very, very exciting. And if you're sitting here today, we, we welcome you, and you're new to City Harvest Church. We want to welcome you. You're sitting here today. You're new to Christianity. We want to welcome you, and it's so great to have you here with us and with our family today. And I, I just want to say, as we welcome you as, as special guests, I, I want to say something about the people you're sitting around. This is not a family of a bunch of do-gooders. This is a family of a bunch of Xers. And I'm not talking about generation Xers. This is a family of, of ex-addicts. This is a family of ex-criminals. This is a family of ex-atheists and ex 
agnostics and, and ex-adulterers and ex-arrogant moralists. And, and this is a family full of ex-dishonest people. And this is a family of ex-idolaters and ex-rebels. This is what you're sitting around, who, who Jesus intensely loves and, and, and who by, we, we have grieved him by our life, but he intensely loved us and he came after us because that's what Jesus does. He comes after people. He came after us and drug us out of that life and opened our eyes and he's changed our heart and, he, and we, just, we, we just witnessed him coming after a, a nation that's in ashes and resurrecting. That's what he does. He comes and he resurrects people because he's resurrected, huh? I mean, that's so welcome. Welcome to church today. It's great to have you. Jesus Christ is a, is a rescuer who, who came after us and still comes after us, as I said. And that's why I wanted to title my, 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 my sermon today called The Go-Between. I want to talk about the go-between because this is really what Easter is all about. It's about, it's, a, <coughs> it's about someone who became the go-between between us and the judgment of God, between our sins and God's holiness, between our suffering and God himself and his love, and so to bring that love into our situation. We have someone who became the go-between. And I'm gonna be, I chose as my, my text for this day, 1 Timothy chapter 2, one, verse one through five, was written by the Apostle Paul. And what I appreciate about the, the Apostle Paul is, is he um, writes letters to the churches, as he wrote one half, really, of the New Testament. Most of the, the letters in the New Testament are from the Apostle Paul. He, when, he, when he writes about anything and any instruction to Christians and to believers of that time, he always connects why you do stuff to what Jesus did for us, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. For instance, he says, I want you to forgive one another even as God forgave us through Christ Jesus. Okay, So it's always back to what Jesus did. It's always to reflect upon the cross and reflect upon the gospel and what we're talking about today. So I'm reading this letter. He's writing to his son Timothy, and he makes this statement. <clears throat> First of all, then, I urge that supplication, supplications means strong, incessant crying out. It's, it's when you're really getting desperate, you're travailing, and you're moving in, in great intensity and praying for something. He, Paul has an ad hoc list here of just ways prayers can be expressed. Prayers, which means petitions. Some of you have lists here, and you're making petitions to God about certain things. Intercession, standing between God and people, an intercessor, and calling out God to show mercy to them. And thanksgiving. We should, we should always give thanksgiving. Everybody said amen. amen. We're thankful to all that he's done. And, and we, our, our, our prayer should be bathed with appreciation of who he is and what he's done for us. Now notice what he says here. Be made for all people. And I want everyone just to say with me, all people. All people. He didn't just say pray for a few. Pray for your favorites. But he said pray for all People. Well, why would we pray? Well, he says this is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. God is not just God. God's a Savior. He's a rescuer. That's why he wants us to pray for all people. Who desires all people to be saved. That's the heart of God. He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is not just an experience where I had an encounter with a living God who opened my eyes or saved me out of a car accident or raised me out of a hospital bed or brought me out of the dregs of addiction or something. This is, this is, a, this is a gospel of truth. It has logic to it. It has facts to it. It, it involves our mind. There's a reason for our hope. We're, we are sitting here today 
and we were standing here today. I guess I'm standing now uh, because we are, we are actually believing in, in the reality that 2,000 years ago, a man named Christ Jesus declared he was the Son of God, died a criminal's death, and came out of a grave, and there were hundreds of witnesses that witnessed it. And so it, it, it rocked the Roman Empire. Within, three gener- within 300 years, Rome was starting to become predominantly Christian. And so it's a, how did they do that without money and without support and without an army, without any communication, without nothing? How did they do that? Well, they did it because of the reality of Jesus through the person of the Holy Spirit. There was living witnesses of miracles and lives transformed and courageous, loving living that transformed a whole world. And we're recipients of that today. The knowledge of the truth. For there is one God versus many. Now we have a culture that has many gods. You may not think that they're gods, but there are gods. We've got to get settled that there's one God. And that's who our allegiance is owed to. And there's one God and there's one mediator. There's one way. There's one path. There's one journey to him between God and men. And that path is the man Christ Jesus who gave himself. He gave himself. He he offered himself for you. How much does he love you? He gave himself for you. He gave himself for me as a ransom. That means there was a price on our head. That means that there was a penalty that, that was given to us that we deserved, and I'll talk about that in a second, that he paid the price for, which is the testimony given at the proper time. This will be testified throughout the world before the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now let's just get into this here today. I urge that, that prayers be made for all people. All people, all people, good people, evil people, criminals, good citizens, atheists, agnostics, seekers, believers, the rich, the poor, the known, the unknown, conservatives, progressives, libertarians, President Barack Obama, President Donald Trump, all, every prime minister around the world, every despot, everybody who you would think is good and everybody you think is bad, all. When he said all, he meant all. And of course, Paul then makes this, makes this statement that this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Why is this pleasing and good? in the eyes of our, of our Savior and in the sight of our Savior? Well, simple. Because God loves them all. God loves them all. And that's why we're to pray for them all. That's why we're to believe for them all. And not only does he love them, he wants to rescue them. He wants to rescue all of them. He's a Savior. I want to say this, that there is no sin so great that God's mercy is not greater. I want to say it again. There's no sin so great. There's no evil so great. There's no wickedness so great that God's love and God's mercy is not greater. If you don't understand that, you do not understand the gospel or the nature of God. Well, how far can that mercy go? Let me introduce you to a, a character that I had the... I guess, I guess the honor, I guess the sobering lesson of observing his work this week. His, name in, in, his, his nickname in, in, in Kamai is Doik. 
And what he was, he was one of the comrades, one of the, one of the party leaders of, of Pol Pot's Khmer Rouge regime. He's also one of the masterminds of what you know today as the killing fields. And so this man indirectly is responsible probably for the torture and the death of three million people. He's personally responsible for the death of 20,000 people in a security holding tank called S-21. S-21 was a converted high school that turned into an interrogating torture camp where they would get, I don't know why the Khmer Rouge did this, to justify their killing of these people, tortured people into forced confessions, put them in irons, did some of the most gross atrocities that could ever happen to a human being to get the confession out of them, and then they would take them to the killing fields and kill them. By the way, in the killing fields, and I don't mean to weird you out on, on Easter, but we can't appreciate the cross until we can appreciate how wicked we are. Now, notice I didn't say how wicked they are, how wicked we are. We need to recognize the potential of our own evil. And so what they would do, they would get those confessions, and then they go out to the killing fields. And, they didn't, and one of the things they didn't do in the, in the killing fields is they didn't use bullets because they didn't want to waste them. So we know this because we have all their skulls. And they would take basically bats and sticks and beat people to death and, and take axes to their heads. Okay, that's how they kill people, men, women, children, old and young, no, no discrimination. He was responsible for about 20,000 of these people. So I took Ben there as part of our sightseeing tour because we were going to minister to the grandchildren of these martyrs. Blood all over the place. They left it just as they found it. Blood splattered everywhere. And he was personally responsible for 20,000 of these people. He ran S21. He became, in the 1990s, a converted Christian. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. Still free, still not in prison, so he wasn't, he wasn't a prisoner. It wasn't a prison house conversion. He was basically living in the, in the, in the woods and the forest under an alias name, actually teaching school, because this guy was a school teacher before the revolution. Well, can a school teacher commit that type of atrocity? Yeah, we all can under the right circumstances. He was life to Christ, was arrested. He's the only one of that regime who's honest about what took place. The rest, we didn't know about it, was our subordinates. We disown ourselves. But he, being a Christian, has confessed it all. Now, there's some that says God could never forgive him for that. But uh, the issue is this. There's no sin so great that God's love is not greater. Romans 5.8 says this, that while I and you were yet sinners... Christ died for us. If I can do anything as a leader in the body of Christ, and that is this. I want to crucify moralism. Where somehow in my good deeds and somehow that I have arrived at some great moral superiority above other people, that, that I have access to God because of what a good guy I am. I want to kill it because I want us to embrace the cross. Paul said, I, I boast in nothing Save the, cross, save the cross of Jesus Christ. That's our boast. That's our boast. And this is why we celebrate Easter today. Now, why do I need a Savior? I mean, Bob, why, why do I need a Savior? You, you might be asking that question. You might not, but I'm pretending you are today. Well, one, you're a wonderful creation. Well, people are wonderful. I, I enjoy people, and it's just amazing to me the variety of people God has created. And they're wonderful. They're funny. They, they got talent. They got wit. They got insight. They... 
They, you know, there's within us the nature of God. We're made in the nature of God, and there's just even some goodness that shines out through it. But the problem is we're also tragically rebellious. The truth of the matter is everybody sitting here today has a 20-minute video of everything that you ever thought of doing, everything you did secretly and no one found out, and everything you did that maybe a few people know or all people know, and you put it all together as your 20-minute video, and there's none of us here that really want that 20-minute video shown to the church. I don't think Isaac back there is just a great young adult uh, pastor doing great. They're rocking it. But uh, he has a 20-minute video. I'm sure he doesn't want to have the church see on Sunday morning. Everybody, this is Isaac McKinley, Sin Life. <laughs> going to put that up there. We're going to show it 20 minutes. I'm not going to preach there. We're just going to watch all the stuff that he did, all the stuff he thought about, all the stuff he did in secret, all the things he said, his attitudes, his jealousies. You see, we, we, we fail to see ourselves in what Jesus redeemed. Now, Bob, don't we get cleaned up? We do. But there's still got residue. And we still did those things. Yes, we're washed. Yes, we're forgiven. But you know what? Those scars remain so that we'll never forget what Jesus did for us. That we were among the scoffers that put, mocked him when he was on that cross. We have to identify with that so that we can appreciate what he did for us. The second thing is this is that I'm guilty of sin and deserving of punishment. Now, why, why is there this thing called judgment? I know we wrestle with this thing as a culture. Why, why judgment? Why is this so difficult? Because if God doesn't judge, then his moral law is not upheld. Now, we live in Clark County, and uh, we have some deputy sheriffs here today and people who are here enforcing the law. We have traffic laws, for instance, in Clark County, speed limits and you know, the way to signal to change lanes. Now, in Cambodia, there are no traffic laws. It's dog eat dog and first man in, and when he gets in, you better stop because you're going to get run over. And uh, that's, we've we watched that. It, it kind of works for them. Uh, and, uh, but we have traffic laws, and, uh, you know, we have to go so fast and stop here and do that. And, and if those laws were not enforced, I know we, let's have a confession. How many people have ever received a, a, a traffic violation ticket? Come on, Eric. God, God loves you. God, God loves you and me. And the reason why we did is because the law is enforced. And the reason why we obey it is because they enforce the law. You know, there's another law we have in the state of Washington. None of you obey it. I don't. We're a bunch of rebels here today. And that is, if you buy anything in the state of Oregon, I don't care if you buy a, a shirt at Nordstrom's or... In the state of, you're supposed to go to the Internal Revenue Office of the state of Washington. You're supposed to fill out a form that you bought it, so you pay Washington state taxes. That's right on the books. How many people have done that this year? <laughs> I think one year about 11 people in, the, in Clark County filled that form out. Now, now why, why are we all doing it? Because the law is not being enforced. They've tried, but they gave up. They'd rather collect uh, property taxes on us so more people move in here. But, uh, but they don't enforce it, so we don't keep it. God has to uphold his law. So there's a positive side to that. Also, I need a savior because I'm deceived about my moral condition and, and even deceived about my dead works. One of, the, one of the natures of our rebellion is that we try to compensate for our, for our sin by by doing good deeds. And it could be a lot of things. Maybe you're, 
Maybe you're doing something like Habitat for Humanity. I give to Habitat for Humanity. I believe in what they're doing. But I, I build houses for the poor at an economic price. And so therefore, that makes up for all the things that I have done or am doing. Maybe it's, uh, is it, you know, was it, you pronounce it PETA, PETA, the pets, is it PETA? PETA. Sorry, sorry, sorry out there. You know, I'm gonna be, I, I think being kind to an animal is, is good. And uh, my dog has taught me to be kind to animals, and, uh, uh, and uh, it's important. We have pets, we have chickens, we have sheep, and uh, it's, uh, we, got, we kind of beast. But I can do all those things, but it doesn't cover up what I've done against God. So just being a good person and doing things that are noble and good doesn't necessarily save me. I can be deceived of who I am by these little things that I do over on the side. Well... I'm enslaved and helpless to get free. Now, maybe you, you quit smoking, and maybe you're here today and you haven't quit smoking yet. We, we don't believe people go to hell for smoking. We just believe they smell like it. And, uh, <laughs> but you, but you uh, maybe you got walked away from something. You changed something, you, and I'm, I'm free. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing drugs anymore. I'm not doing this anymore, but... But you're still a slave, and you're a slave to your self-absorption. When push comes to shove, we still watch out for number one. There was a Christian man who was captured by the Japanese in China in the 1930s when the Japanese occupied China, and, and he, was in, he was put in charge of a POW camp for basically missionaries and, and philanthropists and who were in China at that time in the 1930s to basically run the prison and basically manage those people. And he, and, uh, he, gave, he, was, he had to give so much space to each person uh, where they could lay their, their, their mat and sleep and, and where they had it. And everybody, these were missionaries, these were humanitarians and everything else. These, everybody had an excuse of why they needed more space than the other person. And so he wouldn't do it. Everyone got the same. But what they did the rest of the time is every day they would kind of move an inch in encroachment into their neighbor's territory. Every, every day, just a, a little bit more. A little bit more. A little bit more. A little bit. Why, why did they do that? Because we're sinners by nature. We're still caught up in number one. We need to get set free. And last is this. Because I'm in desperate need of someone coming between me and God to do this. Come between, rescue me from my punishment, rescue me from my blindness, rescue me from my selfishness, rescue me from my absorption with myself and who I really am. I need someone to rescue me. Now, the gospel reveals two truths, two very simple truths. That's what I'm trying to get at. One is this, we are far more sinful than we realize. And the second is this, is that God loves us more than we could ever know. The second one is not appreciated until I come to the realization of the first truth. So you may say, well, you preach kind of hard on that. I do because there's so much deception today about our own goodness that we gotta, we gotta narrow this thing down to what really happened here. We got rescued. And this thing's not about me, and it's not about you, it's about him. It's about him. Paul said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, 
that Christ Jesus came to save sinners, of who, Paul wrote of himself, I am chief. Why did he say he was the chiefest of sinners? Because he persecuted the church. But he said this is a worthy acceptance and a worthy statement. It's worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Of course, he goes on to say in our text today, who desires all people to be saved. Now, next week, I'm starting a series, and the series is entitled Explain That. And uh, you'll be every week, you go in the realm, and it'll be sent to you through the realm. You'll be given a couple of questions. Maybe how you've wrestled with the question we're going to start about next week is how can an all-loving, all-powerful God allow so much suffering to take place in the world? One of the great questions that I wrestle with and you wrestle with, and, and whether Christian or non-Christian, philosophers, and everyone trying to wrestle with this thing, how can that happen? How can he be all-loving and all-powerful? And just explain that. So we will. But one of the answers, one of the parts of the answers, is he's, he's coming to rescue us from that. As he came into our world to die for that. He's coming to our world right now by the Holy Spirit to reverse that. I just witnessed a, a nation being rescued from one of the greatest atrocities of the 20th century. He's coming in and he's rescuing. You know, we do have to cooperate. We have a cabin right now. Sue and I have a cabin and um, up near Mount St. Helens and a little general store that's open like five months a year in there. And everything, there's all these posters all over the board, news articles about a guy named Harry Truman. If you'll remember back in 1980, he was an old codger that lived up there in a cabin at the base of the mountain. They were trying to get him out of there. You got to get out of there because this, this thing's going to blow. But he wouldn't. And so he's up there somewhere in a million different pieces and uh, part of the mountain itself. He couldn't get rescued because he, he just wouldn't cooperate with the rescuing. That's the way it is with the human race. But one of the answers is God came to rescue. And then, of course, Paul said that we might come to the knowledge of the truth. Christianity is really not about all those experiences that we encounter, although that's one of the greatest testimonies that he did rise again from the dead, that we're here today and we're changed and we've been delivered and healed and set free, and that's a great testimony. But it does involve our mind. There's a logic to it. There's a reality to it. There are facts to it. Fact, God became a man. Fact, he rose again from the dead with hundreds of witnesses. Paul said in his 15th chapter of his first letter to the Corinthians, he said he was witnessed by 500 at one time. So there's a lot of testimony of what was seen. We don't know about that incident, what Paul's referring to, but there was a lot of things taking place of firsthand testimonies of a man who ministered, a man who died a criminal's death on a cross, and a man who rose again. We're here because that reality changed human history. Changed human history. Rome couldn't stop it. Those who have turned the world upside down have come here to us. And then Paul says this. He said, there is one God. Now, one God, and of course, in his culture versus many, and we might think, well, we're not in a polytheistic culture like the, the context, the backdrop when, when, the, when the gospel was being proclaimed and the New Testament was being written. But we do have many gods in our culture. God of ambitions. God of image. God of health. God of greed. God of materialism. God of wealth. God of pride, superiority. We got our gods. And there's one God. We got to come to 
plans to it. If we have one God, he has one plan, one nature, one purpose. And that is to have a relationship with you and I, which is really the only reality in the world. And then Paul says there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. We needed someone to be the go-between. We needed someone to go between us and God. And, he, and this someone had to be sinless because if he was sinful, he would have to pay for his own sins. So he had to be sinless. It's interesting to me that those who walk with Jesus in his ministry, live closely in proximity with him, camped with him, traveled with him, they would say this, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, I have a wonderful team here at this church. They know me really well. They've been through thick and thin with me. But they wouldn't say, Bob, the righteous one. My kids wouldn't say, God, the righteous one. And especially my wife would not say, Bob, the righteous one. And I wish they could, but they can't. Because I failed at times and fallen short and had my weak moments and wasn't perfect because I'm a human being that's flawed. But they said that about Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. We had to have a go-between. One mediator, being God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, this is the beautiful part of the gospel. Who gave himself as a ransom for all. He gave himself out of his free will. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. He gave himself to you and to me. How much does God love me? As a man, as a human man, with all the feelings of being human, just like you have feelings of being human and I have feelings of being human, he gave himself to me and he gave himself to you. To experience something he didn't deserve. There was a ransom price to be paid. That ransom price was separation from God that we were experiencing. That ransom price was eternal judgment that we are destined to. And he tasted that all on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, he experienced all the tortures of hell. And the one big one was this. He was separated from his father. When he cries out, lama, lama, sabachini, which meant, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That wasn't just a part of a script. Now, right before you die, make sure you quote Psalm 22. That was the cry of a real human being who saw the darkness of his father and the wrath of God against him for all that you and I did. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because I've never had broken fellowship with you. He tasted it for me, and he tasted it for you, because he happens to love you, and he happens to love me. And then Paul says this word, which is the testimony, I'd like my worship team to come on up here, which is the testimony given at the proper time. What was that testimony? That's the testimony of, of how Jesus rescued us, and how he became the go-between, and how he died on a cross but rose from the dead, and that whole testimony would be declared throughout the world until his second coming. This is the story. This is why we are celebrating today not just the death of Jesus, but his resurrection. Resurrection has two very, very important truths that we need to be clear on. One is this, is that the resurrection declares he was God. 
Not only did he say he was going to be crucified and rise again, and he fulfilled his own prophecy, but no one got him out of that tomb. He walked out himself. You can't keep God in the tomb. There was no one outside saying, Jesus, come forth. It, Jesus just came out. No. We even have descriptions where the cloths were laid and how they were folded. And I don't know if he just kind of came out and had a little unwrapping ceremony. Or just like he walked through walls and appeared to his disciples, he just came out of the wrapping. We weren't there. There were no video cameras. What we do know is that when he came out, the guards were terrified. One of the angels just kind of came down and rolled the rock away and just sat there. We know one of the the synoptics says, and there was an angel sitting on the rock. (laughs) There he was. He's risen. He's no longer here. It demonstrated he was God. The second thing is, is that means that the sacrifice he gave himself for, the Father accepted. Jesus, according to Romans 4.25, was delivered for our offenses, I mean our sins and the things that we did to offend God, and he was raised for our justification. The Father accepted his sacrifice. That's why we're celebrating today. Because he loves us that much. Would you stand to your feet?